You know, uh, just a moment our, our gra- or just a second ago, our graduates came up here and uh, Jerry gave them a little gift. Uh, it has a CD and a thousand dollar bill inside. Did y'all get the did y'all each get the thousand dollar bill? Maybe you missed one or two, but um, they, they have an interactive CD, DVD. It's got some devotionals on it and some worship songs, news, events, different things uh, that kind of mark their time and everything. A little gift we wanted to give to them, of course, what I hope uh, is that we've given them a whole lot more than a CD. I hope over the last several years, for certainly for some of them who've been here maybe most of their life in this church, we've given them a lot. You know, as they walk this stage and they'll walk another stage this week, they're, you know, parents are thinking about, did we give them what we needed to? And I think a lot of us parents are probably, maybe I'm just speaking for Karen and I, a little bit insecure whether we gave what we needed to as they're getting ready to launch out into the world. And uh, that's really kind of going on this week as we think about what it is, what is a church, what is a family have we given them? What are we sending them out into the world with? Are they prepared? And as we think about what we'd want them to have, you know, of course, an even better question is what would God want them to have? And, you know, we really don't have to to think long and hard about that. We know very specifically what God would want for each one of them. Because we saw 11 guys, one didn't pass. We saw 11 guys go through the school of Jesus. It was a three-year degree. And uh, at their graduation, right before the, uh, the main speaker ascended into heaven, Jesus, he said, you go back to Jerusalem. You're all prepared. You've been through your education. You're getting ready to go, as I just talked about a moment ago, go to be that witness. He said, But don't go, not until you have this one thing. Don't go anywhere with all the education you've had, with with everything I've equipped you and prepared you with. Don't go until you get the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere until that happens. So the best thing we could pray for our graduates as they go out into the world is that they are filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. That as they go, they go with the Holy Spirit because under His influence, they will have the life and they will have everything that they need. You know, as I think about them going and the the need they have for the Holy Spirit, quite providentially, it fits very well into this sermon series because that's where our sermon series on what is brings us today. What is God, the Holy Spirit? You know, when we come to this third member of the Trinity... We haven't always done a good job. You say, we who? We, we the church, we Southern Baptist, uh, we the church at large. We've got elements of the Christian faith that kind of go really exaggerated in one specific area of the Holy Spirit. I think probably a bigger problem is we got a lot larger segment of the Christian faith that just ignores them altogether. We, we just really don't know what to do with this third member of the Trinity. I, I don't know what all the reasons are for that. One may be, as we talked about a while back, as we looked at the Trinity, it, it's the struggle with even understanding the Trinity, period. But inside the Trinity, the, there's this father and there's a son. Now, we know what a father is and we know what a son is. Those are kind of concrete images in our mind. We can kind of get our arms around that. But a, but a Holy Ghost? A ghost? What do you do with a ghost? He's not quite sure how to handle this third member of the Trinity. Whatever the reason is, I would dare say, inside this room, for us here at Colonial Heights Baptist, this is probably the the member of the Trinity that we are most unfamiliar with. Most don't know what to do with or quite how to think on. That's a shame. Many of us have come in here today want help. 
Well, I'm here. I'm not here for worshiping. I'm not here to gather with other believers. I need help. I'm here to pray, and I hope God hears me. I'm here to get something that will help me to get through this week. Folks, Jesus' help for you is the person of the Holy Spirit. The help that Jesus has for you to live the Christian life in this world is the Holy Spirit. Now, now what is the Holy Spirit? That's kind of the question we're trying to answer. What is that? Well, let's start by talking about what he's not. He's not a ghost. That may be a title that, that has been referred to him as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. But when I say he's not a ghost, what comes to our mind when we think of a ghost? Whether it's Casper or anything else. Whatever comes to your mind when you think of ghosts probably is not what comes to the, to the mind in that title, the Holy Ghost. So he's not a ghost. He's not a vague or impersonal force. That's not what Luke and Darth are referring to. Okay? That's not the Holy Spirit either. As a matter of fact, not only is he not a vague or impersonal force, he actually is, like the Father and like the Son, the Holy Spirit is a person. He has the attributes, the qualities of a person. The same attributes and qualities that you have, the same attributes and qualities that the Father and the Son have. You say, what what are the attributes of a person? What makes up a person is just a couple of things. An intellect, an emotion, and a will. And you see here, scripturally... Now, folks, this is a little bit different sermon, okay? We believe here at Colonial Heights Baptist in the Bible, right? We do? Okay, if some of you are with me on that, I hope more than that... Uh, we believe in the Bible. We preach and teach out of the Bible. So it's a little bit weird for me. I'm not even going to open my Bible today. And, and instead of reading one or two passages to you, I'm going to throw at you like, oh, three or four hundred passages today. Okay? And, and really, it's, it's, well, really, it's your responsibility. Can I say that? Well, I'm going to say it anyway. It's your responsibility to go look at these verses. You need to know the Holy Spirit. You need to know what the Scripture has taught about Him. And my goal today is to get a lot of places in God's Word where it will point you, it will teach you, it will guide you in who and what the Holy Spirit is in your life. Let me remind you on that note, uh, these PowerPoint notes, you can go to our our website, chbaptist.com. Scroll down, you'll see the sermon series logo. You can click on that. You'll see every sermon in this series. You can listen to it online. You can download it through iTunes. You can get all the PowerPoint notes. Because we are, I am going to be throwing a lot at you today. But you can download all these notes. You can go back and get all those verses. Uh, see the different books that have been recommended. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you. Remember the very first sermon in this series? God has a command on your life to grow in your knowledge and understanding. What I'm trying to put in front of you is a is a way to do that. So we go to Scripture and what do we see? We see the Holy Spirit is described with an intellect. He has understanding. He's got described with a mind, emotions and a will. He is a person, not a ghost, not a vague force. He also look at the next slide. He also does things that a person does. Okay, a vague force, a ghost, does not teach, does not counsel. No, the Holy Spirit does things that a person does. He bears witness. He points to Jesus. He shows people Jesus. He guides. He Look at that one, convicts of sin, John 16, 8. You may want to jot that verse down. You know, whenever I'm praying for the salvation of somebody or somebody, if you come to me and say, would you pray for the salvation of this person in my life? I pray John 16, 8. Whenever I'm praying for somebody's salvation, I am praying to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you convict John, 
your name's John in here, you better be wondering what I'm saying. Would you convict John of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Those three words come right out of Scripture. That was what ultimately the Holy Spirit is going to convict somebody of that leads them to salvation. So when I'm praying for salvation, I'm praying to the Holy Spirit. That's his work to convict the heart, to open the heart to Christ. I'm praying to the Holy Spirit about that work, about that salvation. So the Holy Spirit does things that a person, that a person does. So the scripture is clearly showing the Holy Spirit to be a person. As a matter of fact, the scripture kind of goes out of its way. To point to the Holy Spirit as a person. You might remember when we studied the, uh, the Trinity, I made the comment that the, the word for spirit, pneuma, in the Greek language is a neuter noun. Now, neuter noun means a neuter pronoun. I know we're getting into grammar. We left that like in seventh grade. Uh, that's a, a distance for some of us. But like if, it's a, if it's a male noun, then the pronoun would be he. If it's a female noun, then the pronoun would be she. If it's a neuter noun, the pronoun would be it. And yet not one single time in the scripture is the Holy Spirit referred to as it. You remember that comment I made that the scripture is doing bad grammar, good theology. It is actually bad grammar. You can't have a neuter noun and then refer to it as a he. And yet the Holy Spirit, every single writer of the scripture goes out of his way to do bad grammar and good theology and point to the Holy Spirit as He. He, the Holy Spirit, is a person, and that person is God. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about the Holy Spirit being God, because I did that back when we looked at the Trinity. But suffice to say, this morning, the Scripture points to the Holy Spirit, calls the Holy Spirit God. If you look at uh, a chapter like Acts chapter 5, He's referred to as God. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, when you see the names in Scripture, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. It's very clear that the Holy Spirit is co-eternal, co-equal, an equal member of the, with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit has attributes that only God can have. He's all-knowing. The Holy Spirit is referred to as being all-knowing, as being all-powers, all-powerful, as being everywhere present, as being eternal, as being holy. So he is God. He is a person and he is God. And he also does things that only God is involved with doing. The Holy Spirit is attributed with creation, just like the Father and just like the Son. The Holy Spirit is attributed with generating Christ. And by that, I mean, if you go to that verse, you'll see it's the Holy Spirit that placed Jesus inside the womb of Mary. Now, who can do that but God? The Holy Spirit, when we studied the Bible, saw it's the Holy Spirit that inspired the Scripture. We studied that aspect. It's the Holy Spirit that's responsible for regeneration. That's a big word right there. It means born again. You can't go to heaven unless you're born again. Remember what Jesus said in John 3? You cannot enter heaven unless you've been born again. Now, when you and I hear the word born again, we probably think of Jesus, don't we? Jesus paid for the opportunity for you and I to be born again. But it's the Holy Spirit when you and I place our trust in Christ, when we put our faith in that work, when we put our faith in that payment that Christ did, it's the Holy Spirit that then comes in us and works that miracle of bringing us to life spiritually, of causing that second birth, that birth whereby we, we can enter into heaven. So the Holy Spirit is involved in activities that only God can be, only God is attributed to being involved with. 
Now, folks, what I've just done is I've put like a mile's worth of stuff out in front of you, and it's about an inch deep. Okay, I'm not really explaining a lot. We're not really going into much detail. I'm just trying to put a lot of things in front of you about the Holy Spirit so that you can see it. What I want to do now is slow down a little bit, and I want to look at just four things. I want to look at four works, four activities of the Holy Spirit. Next time, we're going to look at gifts and fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to be looking at next time. But today... I want to take a few moments and look at baptism of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and then the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay, are you ready? Okay, good. We got a couple of people back here ready to go. Okay, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, of all the topics we'll be talking about this morning, this one's probably the most divisive. There's a lot of debate on what is the baptism of, not what is, but when does the baptism of the Holy Spirit take place? There's a a group of denominations, a group of believers in the Christian faith that believe that baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that happens after salvation. They refer to it as a second act or a second blessing. That there's a point in time when I trust in Christ as my Savior and I'm saved, But then separate and distinct from that, it might be five minutes later, it might be five years later, it might be 25 years later, but when God really gets me, when I commit maybe to things like lordship, Christ being in control of my life, and I grow mature, then at that point, I'm going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they will even say that usually what is is evidence that that baptism has taken place is speaking in tongues. Now this is a view that I completely and totally disagree with you will hear me at times say no there's different ways of looking this passage i tend to take it this way my opinion is okay now in my humble opinion i'm not expressing an opinion here i believe they are absolutely and totally scripturally wrong second act a second blessing does not exist it is not what the teaching of Scripture is, nor is it evidenced by speaking in tongues. One proof of that is 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 says that there's not a single gift that all members of the body have. Well, if God's desire is for all members of the body to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and they were going to all speak in tongues, well, then that would mean there is a gift that all members were going to have. So it is actually contrary to Scripture to say that anything in the Christian life for all of us is going to be evidenced by one particular gift of the Spirit. So that's wrong. They're wrong in saying that. Now, why do they say baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second act? Well, there are three places in the book of Acts where you have people who are clearly believers, they've placed their faith in Christ, but they've not yet received the Holy Spirit. They've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I've got to run you through a real quick outline of what's happening in the book of Acts and why those three instances occur. You have to realize what's going on in Acts is the birth of Christianity, the birth of the church. And, and, and they're kind of getting rolling here. They're getting started. And we see some things happening in the beginning. Now, what we've got to ask ourselves is what's happening in the beginning meant to be for all believers for all time. And what is the teaching that follows that? Now, in Acts 1.8, it tells you and me, this is when Jesus ascends. We just talked about this. Jesus ascends and he says, you are to go into the world and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, that verse becomes the outline for the book of Acts. So Acts chapters 1 to 7 is about the witness, the gospel, going into Jerusalem. 
Acts chapters 8 and 9 are about the witness, the, the gospel going into Judea and Samaria. And Acts chapter 10 to the end of the book are about the gospel, the witness going into the ends of the earth or to the, to the Gentiles. Now, as that witness goes, in each of those areas, God shows the Holy Spirit coming. Obviously, you've got a time yet because when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. So you're going to have for a unique, a very unique moment in, in spiritual history, you're going to have people who are saved who do not have the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus ascends, he sends the Holy Spirit. And so that group of believers receives, is baptized in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2. They are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then we see that Holy Spirit come in 8 and 9 to Judea and Samaria. Then we see that same Holy Spirit come in Acts chapter 10 and following. It actually happens in Acts chapter 18 that he falls on a group of Gentiles. So there's that unique spot. But after those three places, you don't ever again see the Holy Spirit coming as a separate act from salvation. It happens at the same time. The teaching of Scripture Okay, not an example it shows in two or three unique places, but the teaching of Scripture is that all believers, and that's what uh, that, that last point, that last bullet there, you see several passages, and it emphasizes over and over and over that all, all believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, it couldn't say all believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit if come, some come to Christ, but they don't actually reach that point of commitment or lordship or what if they die before it happens. What it, what it should say is, you know, all, of all the believers, hopefully a lot of them are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. No, it says all believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It happens at our conversion. There's nothing we do to make that happen. It's done to us. It's done for us. You don't even feel it. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life at your conversion. Now, I'm sure after detailing all this, you're thinking, so what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I don't care when it happens. What is it? Well, it's a simple, a very simple idea. Just as we refer to baptism in the water, uh, that, that meaning baptism means to immerse, but it also means to identify with. When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it means we are identified with Christ and we are identified with the church. It's a work of God through the Holy Spirit to show in the spiritual realm, not something we're always in tune with, but it's very, very real, to show in the spiritual realm that we belong to Christ. I often use this illustration. I've got a wedding ring here. This is a physical object, and it identifies me with a particular person. But whether you know that person or not, you know for sure it identifies me with the institution of marriage. This ring says something about who I belong to, what I belong to. Baptism of the Holy Spirit in the spiritual realm is doing very much the same thing. It's saying, I belong to Christ and I belong to his people. It is a work of the Holy Spirit that makes us the family of God. We all share this in common. God didn't ever say there's going to be a group of believers who are baptized in the Spirit and a group who are not. A family, that, a part of the family that's been clearly identified with Christ and a part of the family we're still hoping comes along. No, as believers, we are all identified in the person of Jesus Christ. We all belong to the family. Okay, you got that? Clear as mud. Super. Okay, second act, indwelling. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Again, very simple idea. This is a work of God where he comes by and takes up residence in our life. He lives in. He moves in. Happens at conversion. 
We don't do anything to make this happen. When we place our faith in Christ, God and the person of the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. He lives inside us. This is true for the weakest believer. This is true for a sinning believer. It is true for all of us. As a matter of fact, uh, great evidence of this is 1 Corinthians 6.19. Paul's writing the Corinthians, and folks, the Corinthian church, man, they are a mess. I mean, this is one messed up church. It's like they're clicking off how many sins they can attain. I mean, they've got, they've got incest in the church. They're suing one another. There are divisions. There's fighting. There's sexual immorality. There's a problem with divorce. It is sin after sin after sin. And that's what a lot of First and Second Corinthians is about. Paul is dealing with addressing these different sins that are in this church. And yet in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, all of you... All of you, all of you that I've been talking about, all of these sins that we've been dealing with, don't you realize that all of you are the sanctuary, the temple of the Holy Spirit? So being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is not an issue of our maturity, our growth. It is an issue that all believers are indwelt. And Paul's motivation there is, how can you have such a cavalier attitude about sin? How can you be so casual? Do you realize when you're walking into that sin that God the Holy Spirit lives in you? And you were purchased with a price. You can't do that. He goes on to say, your body's not your own. You don't own your body. I don't care what the Constitution says. You don't own your body. God owns that body. God's living in it. You do not have the right to do whatever sin you want to do, no matter how wrong everybody in the world is around you. Is that clear? Is that understandable? That's what indwelling means. I've got God living in me. I can't just do whatever I want. God lives here now. That's indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Third one, sealing of the Holy Spirit. This is cool. I'm telling you, folks, God loves you. God loves me so much. What he does when we come to, to faith in Christ is just phenomenal. This word sealing has the idea to authenticate. You know, you, you, you get, you know, I could get a notary, a republic, you get that, that, that notary, a public, you get that stamp on it. Or, or maybe you get something that's got to have a certain sticker. It's got to be embossed a certain way. That's a seal. We refer to it as a seal. You've got to get that seal on it. And that seal means it's real. This is genuine. This is authentic. This counts. A lot of times in, in the Greek language, this word, this same thing means in the English language, and it adds to it the idea of ownership. This is the owner. This is the genuine owner. So God is putting a seal on us, and that seal is the Holy Spirit himself. God seals us. God stamps us with the Holy Spirit. And in this word is part of the idea of our security. We're going to actually address that. Are we once saved, always saved? That, that, that idea that you can't lose your salvation, that's going to be what is our, one of our what is sermons. But this is a part of understanding how we don't lose our salvation because I've been sealed, I've been, I've been uh, locked in, I've been guaranteed in the Holy Spirit. And inside that word is the idea of a down payment, a security deposit. You know, if I come by and, and, and you got your house for sale and I buy your house, I say, you know what, I like your house. I'm going to buy your house. At that point, I'm going to put down what? A security deposit. Because see, now that I've put down that deposit, now I've got to go spend 30 days, 45 days, 60 days trying to put together loan documents and, and all the stuff that goes to getting ready for a closing. And I put down that security deposit because while I'm taking all this time to get ready for a closing, I don't want you selling the house out from under me. But if I don't come through on my, my promise to buy the house, then what happens? I lose my deposit. I, I'm out $1,000, $1,500, whatever that deposit was. I've lost that. 
Folks, God has come and He struck a deal with you. When you placed your faith in Christ, God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I promise you that when this process is done, you're going to be standing in heaven. You're going to look just like my son, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to reward you as if you were my son, Jesus Christ. That's the deal. And then God, as if he needed to secure something with us. I think the question mark is here is you and me, not God. But then God puts down a security deposit. He puts down a deposit saying, I will complete this deal. And that deposit is not money. It's himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. So if God doesn't complete this deal, what does he lose? He loses himself. He ceases to be God. God has put himself on the line to guarantee that you and I are going to be in heaven looking just like his son. Is that awesome? What an incredible work of God. So here, here what I do, I, can't, I realize because the Holy Spirit has convicted me of sin. He has shown me that I am lost. He has shown me that I don't know the Lord. He convicts me and I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. At that moment, the Holy Spirit baptizes me. He identifies me as being a part of the family of God. He identifies me as belonging to Christ. He comes and lives inside of me. And then he seals me. He secures me in that salvation. Now watch this. Nowhere in Scripture are you and I commanded to be baptized, to be indwelt, or to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're not commanded to do any of those three things. You know why? Because there's there nothing that you do. You don't do anything in your life to make those things happen. When you receive Christ, they happen one time permanently at conversion for all believers. And those things are done. So for many of us in this room, these are works of the Holy Spirit that have already taken place. They're permanent and I don't have to seek them, do anything to make them happen or keep them happening. They're done and finished. Isn't that awesome? Now, there's another work of the Holy Spirit, and that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is something I am commanded to do, and it is not permanent. Now, if you think about it, filling and indwelling kind of sound the same, don't they? If, if I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, it just sounds like he's inside there somewhere, right? Well, here's the difference. Indwelling of the Holy Spirit is how much you have of the Holy Spirit. You have 100% of the Holy Spirit. Filling is how much the Holy Spirit has of you. That's the difference. How much the Holy Spirit has of you. The best way to understand the, the filling of the Holy Spirit is, is go right to Scripture. It gives a, a very clear illustration of what it means. Ephesians 5.18, Paul's writing, and he says, Do not be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled. Don't be under the, what do we call it? under the influence. Don't be under the influence of wine. Instead, be under the influence, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Kind of an odd illustration that the Lord would use, isn't it? He, he points to drunkenness as an illustration of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with wine, and I know none of you have, when you are filled with wine, there's a kind of a strange silence there, wasn't there? When you are filled with wine, think about it, from the very first drink, the wine is taking over more and more and more. And, and after you get enough in you, at that moment, alcohol, and again, that's the phrase we use, you are under the influence. And if you think about a person under the influence, it controls everything. There's not a single aspect about you at that moment 
that is not under the influence. It controls what you see. It controls what you talk like, what you say. It controls how you respond, how you walk, how you talk, how you act. It controls everything about you. And Paul's saying, man, don't be under the influence of that. And for that matter, you can fill in any word there. Don't be under the, uh, the, the influence of any substance. Don't be under the influence of people. Don't be under the influence of the world. But instead, let every aspect of your being be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit guide how you see things, how you talk, how you walk, how you act. Let the Holy Spirit control everything about you. I so wish this was a permanent act. I so wish he'd fill me once and that just took care of it for life. You know what the problem is? The Holy Spirit's not going to kidnap you. He's not going to bonk you over the head and drag you to where you need to be. He will guide you. He will teach you. He will convict you. He'll say, I, 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 I'm, I'm not leading here. I'm not, you're going the wrong direction here. You shouldn't be doing that here. He will do everything he can to help you make the right decision. But if you say, no, in this moment, I want to be under the influence of alcohol. No, in this moment, I want to be under the influence of my friends. No, in this moment, I want to be under the influence of the world. No, in this moment, I just want to be under the influence of good old number one, me. You know what the Holy Spirit's going to do? He's going to step aside. All right. Go ahead. Oh, my gosh, that's awful. How do I know when I'm not under the influence of the Holy Spirit? How do I know when I'm not filled? Very easy to know. A sin's right behind that decision. The moment you take over influence or you yield it to somebody else, at that moment, a sin is on the way. The moment you sin, at that moment, it doesn't matter what the sin is, big sin, small sin, however you want to define or adjective you want to put with sin, whatever kind of sin it is, at that moment, you know definitively, I am not filled with the Holy Spirit. I am not under his influence. So at that moment, I've got to be filled again. Oh my gosh, how often do you have to be filled? I can't help but think at least once a day. I can't, if you don't have time to pray, if you don't have time to read scripture, you don't have time to do anything, I can't imagine you leave the house and not have this one prayer. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, control me, influence. I, I don't know what all is out there in front of the day. I don't know who I'm going to interact with or what they're going to be like. But Lord, as I walk through this day, Holy Spirit, as I walk through this day, would you guide, control, and influence everything that I'm going to be, everything that I'm going to be doing, every way I'm going to be responding. I want to be 24-7 under your influence. And I so go, I go trucking through my day and I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Yay, me. And then all of a sudden I go, oh, my gosh. I just realized I was pretty mean to that person back there five minutes ago, or I may not realize it for four or five hours. But that moment that I realize that I've sinned, I've got to stop and say, you know what, I'm not under the influence anymore. So at that moment, I've got to stop. And Bill Bright, uh, president and founder of Campus Crusade, used to refer to this as spiritual breathing. I've got to exhale. I've got to confess my sin. Lord, I, I, I thought something I shouldn't have thought. I said something I shouldn't have said. I did something that I shouldn't have done. I confess that to you as sin. I receive your forgiveness, and I, I need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. I yield back control to the Holy Spirit and influence to him. Well, do you realize what a big deal this is? How many believers do you think are out there in our church all over the place that don't know anything about this or just ignoring it altogether? I, I really I honestly I don't believe you can live this Christian life with any consistency, with any success without being filled with the Holy Spirit. I wonder how many believers don't know a thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, here again, the scripture did command that we grow and that we learn, right? 
That means I've gone to God's word in my life and I'm finding out about the Holy Spirit and I'm finding out and I learned, hey man, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, as, I, as we wrap up this morning, let me repeat what I've said. I have taken you about a mile wide and an inch deep today. I've just put a lot of stuff out there but really have not explained deeply in anything. Folks, that's your responsibility to pick it up. That's your responsibility to pick up God's word, to pick up a study and say, man, this is Jesus' help for me. The Holy Spirit is what he has for me. Whatever you're facing this week, folks, the Holy Spirit's the one living in you and the one that will help you face it and deal with it successfully. And by the word successfully, I mean he'll help you deal with it in a way that you can stand before God and be proud and be excited to discuss with God that topic, that issue in your life at that moment. And the Holy Spirit is a phenomenal God, third member of the Trinity, God's gift to you and for you in your life. What do I do with this today? Man, I don't know what all I got this week and I get all, you know, you, pastor, you threw at me about 600 verses and a whole bunch of ideas. What am I supposed to do with it? What is that supposed to mean? You know, folks, I think one thing we do, we just stand in awe of God and just praise him. We just praise him. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I prayed a prayer and I asked Jesus to come in my life and man, whoo. God is just moving with all of these. Folks, our salvation is so big and I don't think we have a clue of what's going on in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm, when you and I are saved. But praise God, God knows what's going on and he is moving and working and doing all of these acts to secure our salvation, to identify us as belonging to him, to come and live in us. I mean, we need to stand in awe and praise him of the work that he does. But then as I stand here today and, I, and I'm heading into week, Whatever's out there, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think a part of being filled, it's a simple prayer, but I think a part of that filling is certainly to know that member of the Trinity, to study Him, to understand Him, so that I can more faithfully and effectively every day of my life live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Worship Him. Study Him. Pray to Him. Acknowledge Him. The Holy Spirit, he is your God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning and I, I don't know what the reason would be for us as an individual or as a group. But Holy Spirit, we have left ourselves largely ignorant of who you are. And the great works that you do in our lives, the ministry that you have there day in and day out. We ask your forgiveness. We ask that you would fill us afresh. Lord, I, I want to be under your influence all of the time. Little things, big things, big, big, giant, important days, meaningless days where I'm not going to be doing much of anything. I want every bit of it to be under the influence of you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me to stay close. I know I fight you. I know I rebel against you. And you step aside and you let me go on my way and sin. You mess things up. I pray that I would stop and realize you've never messed things up. You've never led me to mess things up. You've never taught me in a way that led me to mess things up. You only have what is good for me. I pray I would trust you and I would, I would tune my ears through the scripture. I would tune my ears to your voice. 
And I pray that more and more of my life is obedient to you, yielded to you, completely under the influence of you. As I work through this, I thank you that your living in me is never on the line. I thank you that your security, you're securing me in that salvation. That's never on the line. You're making me a part of Christ. That's never on the line. How gracious and good, how patient you are. Boy, with that in mind, may I be more and more motivated to just yield my whole life over to you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen.